I'm Sean Lukasik, and you're listening to the Paisanos Podcast. Anyone who knows me knows I've been a lifelong fan of the Buffalo Bills. Growing up in Western New York, that's nearly impossible to avoid. And being a modern sports fan means having 24-7 access to players and journalists through social media and round-the-clock reporting. And that's what I talk about with today's guest, Matt Perino, who is the Buffalo Bills beat reporter for Syracuse.com. Matt covers the team through a variety of media, including his award-winning podcast, Shout, where he's a co-host with Ryan Talbot. He provides pregame coverage on TV in his home city of Buffalo and is active all across social media. Previously, Matt spent four years with the UFC as their digital media director, and today he's also an adjunct journalism professor at the University of Buffalo. I want to give a special shout out to Matt for being the very first interview I conducted for the Paisanos podcast. And I also want to apologize to you for any issues with the sound quality as I was just getting this project off the ground. As the Bills prepare for training camp, trying to shake off the sincerely wild 2022-23 season, I thought this was the perfect time to share our conversation. If you're a fan, please subscribe and leave a review and share it with all of your friends and paisanos. Thanks so much for listening. Here is my conversation with Matt Perino. Matt Perino, thank you for joining me on the Paisanos podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, I think the last time I saw you, you were on the sidelines at training camp uh, mm-hmm. back in, in the summer. High expectations for the Buffalo Bills. Um, the first thing that I want to ask you is uh, how would you summarize the season that the Bills just had? It's interesting, like getting the news today, you know, Jessica Pagula kind of going in detail on what happened with uh, her mother, Kim, like, it's almost like people kind of forgot about that whole deal, right? Like, I don't want to say forgot about it, but like, you know, you move on to the season, the games start. And that was really in a lot of ways, the the top shooting and then that, that Kim Pagula health situation really kind of started off this season of, of, you know, just heartbreak for this organization, for the city. And obviously you get, you know, right before the year and then Dawson Knox with his brother losing him tragically, 20 some year old, uh, you know, uh, young man from, I think he was at Old Miss. So it's like they've gone through so many different things and they've kind of been able to compartmentalize it. But I think you kind of see a little bit that in the end, I think it was just an organization that had been through so much. I mean, Kim Pagula, if you go read read that um, piece by Jessica, she was so heavily involved in every aspect of the organization. To not have her around for a whole season, it has an impact. Yeah, especially a season that needed that like so much um, influence from the top and and so much you know called for so much leadership this year in ways that seasons haven't in the past. Um, and I know you spoke a lot on your podcast, um, shout the the Buffalo Bills football podcast, um, and you recently spoke with uh, Jeff Perlman, one of one of 
who you <laughs> spoke about as a, a journalism idol for you uh, about tragedy in sports. And there was enough of it to go around this season. Um, can you maybe recap a bit of that, those conversations that, that I know you've had in, in different arenas, just about what it's been like to cover so much tragedy in one season, frankly, but in sports in general. Well, it's challenging. It's a challenge because you got two forces kind of up against each other for yourself internally. You have the journalism, truth-seeking part of your job, and then the human element where, you know, you have to, all these situations require such delicate, a delicate approach to how you cover it, to the conversations that you have with people around it. And I'm not just talking about people in the organization, but people, you know, just regular people that ask. I mean, there's people that have asked me going back to June now, like about Kim Pagula every single stretch of this this way. And I think the, the fact that you didn't hear something before this was really just a collective effort to allow the family at their time to kind of come out with it and, you know, the details of it and the fact that she's still dealing with, you know, aphasia and um, some memory memory loss. I mean, this is a significant event that happened to her. It's something that, you know, heaven forbid that happens to anybody's, you know, somebody in their family. It's horrible across the board, but she was so heavily involved with the operations of two major sports teams that just challenge all, all across the board for the people that were, you know, dealing with it on the inside. And then kind of us from a journalism perspective and, you know, with the DeMar Hamlin thing, when I got a chance to, to talk to Jeff Perlman, it was just about being on the ground um, in, in Cincinnati at Paycor stadium when it was all happening. And you're dealing with at the time reports coming out from some local journalists about, um, you know, the severity of DeMar Hamlin's situation. I mean, there was a couple things that I saw retweeted by reputable accounts that ended up not being true. Like you got to be really careful if you don't have the information yourself in those moments, you don't really want to go with it. And, and I think that our coverage kind of followed that and being on the ground and getting that major update the next day from his uncle um, was, um, you know, it was it was helpful for not only the the community but really across the board. I mean, I did CNN interviews, I did uh, international TV interviews. I mean, that was the the highest profile week professionally, and it comes at this really strange time when it's like you're dealing with somebody that you know might not a make it, might not be the same person. And obviously, there's been this unbelievable recovery for Demar Hamlin, and every day the news gets seems to get better and better. Um, but yeah, so that 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 was uh from it was a weird thing. Professionally, pretty cool uh, to to get a chance to rap with with Perlman, but um, the circumstances were tough. The reason why I'm doing this podcast is because um, I want to explore the the role that internet culture has in all of our lives. Um, and I I did a talk years ago. Um, and the term paisanos was used to indicate people that you know and you're friends with in real life, as opposed to the people that you only know online. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, that was almost 10 years ago. And I think those lines have been blurred a little bit more now. The, the relationships that we build as a result of the internet, and frankly, the careers that we build as a result of the internet um, have 
become in real life relationships and in real life careers. Um, and it's, it's impossible to separate internet culture with the reality that we live today. And you started to, uh, to talk a little bit about, um, how, you know, these stories are coming out even from reputable sources that eventually proved to be incorrect. Um, and what I, what I really want to talk to you about is the role that the internet plays in the job that you do as a journalist, um, as a sports journalist, and, you know, maybe how that's affected your career. I, I won't say helped or hurt or either one of those things, but um, just h- starting from the ho- high level, how do you feel that the internet has played a role in the career that you have today and the reporting that you do on a, a day-by-day, but also a minute-by-minute basis? Yeah. I mean, if you even did this job 15 years ago, it was completely different. And so I think for the first and foremost, I'd say what the internet has done is it's allowed an opportunity to those that were able to adapt traditional methods of covering sports teams and kind of flip it toward this immediate, um, all consuming, encompassing, um, world where it just, it wasn't like this before. I mean, to hear any, to, to hear, see any kind of like, um, sports talk, right? Like, I mean, if you go back 15 years before first take and all that kind of stuff, you'd have to listen to it on a radio show right now. It happens everywhere. It happens on the radio, happens on the TV, happens on your Twitter feed. You can actually start as a, as a, fan. You can just start your own kind of podcast and and do it that way. Um, So I think that the internet for me and where I'll credit it with my career is that I saw what the environment was that I was going to be working in. And I kind of used all of the levers available to me to um, maximize my social media presence, my online presence. And we've shifted a, a lot, right? Like even two or three years ago, like the, the, the emphasis in journalism was so much on the stories, right. That we, that we were right. Like how many clicks are you getting all that kind of stuff. Now it's, it's more so about like building brand, I think. And then like, what else do you offer too? Because sure. I want all the stories. That's like part of the, you know, the deal, right. When we shake hands and you follow me, you want me to give you bills coverage. That's part of it. But also what else are you doing? You're doing a podcast. Great. Um, do you interact with people on social media? There's a lot of journalists, sports journalists that don't like doing that. And I feel like they, you, you could see it in the numbers. Like they just kind of get lost behind. And I think in a lot of ways for me, it's personal because as you know, I grew up in Buffalo and you know, Bill's fans are my people, right? Like I grew up in this culture in this town. And so for me connecting with them, I feel like is just second nature because for 35 years, I was one of them. But for a lot of people, sports journalists, it's almost like a an annoyance. And I almost feel like, you know, you talk about like biases, right? I think that people maybe that come in out of market have a bias against it, right? Because they had their teams or experiences beforehand uh, as they were kind of growing up. And maybe there's an element to, you know, Buffalo or people that annoy them. But that doesn't really happen with me because this is just where I'm from. And I've dealt with Buffalo people for the majority of my life. Yeah. And that's very clear and very evident in the way that you approach your job and how open you are to, um, 
you know, the reporting that you do, the, the way that you, you treat the team, treat the players, treat the city. Um, a lot of that was on display this season as we've talked about a bit. Um, and a lot of that is on display online. You know, you're, you're very active on Twitter, obviously. Um, you're active on uh, Facebook. Um, you share your podcast um, through YouTube and stuff. You have all these avenues by which people can reach you and comment on the work that you're doing. Um, how, how do you deal with that? And, and, and how, what's it like? I mean, covering sports when that conversation never really stops. It's a great question. I think sometimes it, you know, you need to, you need to press pause. You need to know when to kind of put the phone down, put the apps away. Cause I mean, it could be, it can be consuming. And I have two little kids. I coach my son's travel baseball team. Um, I, I have other interests. I try to spend time with my family, do, do different things. So to get away from it at times is really important. Uh, but I also think that I've developed and curated a very healthy online um, community. So if you don't fit into that community and that's okay, like you don't, we might not see eye to eye you, and you might disagree with me, right? On a bill's subject. That's fine. Like I have plenty of people that come in my comments and, and disagree with me pretty consistently that I still interact with on the regular. As soon as it turns like negative or um, harassment, uh, I usually just, boot them out of the community. And the, the most of the platforms allow you to do that pretty e- easily. Um, but you gotta, you gotta navigate that part of it too, because I, th- I think it could be a little bit of a, I think that it could be counterproductive to spend, you know, time that, you know, on social media platforms in the negative space, because we got enough of that going on in other like, um, you know, themes, other topics that are, that are covered on those platforms. Obviously politics has never been as divisive as it is today. And so I try to keep it, you know, uplifting, um, inclusive. And I think that people kind of get that. And that's why the interactions tend to be productive. It does seem that way. And, and I feel like there's not, there aren't many careers out there where, uh, that question would be irrelevant. You know, like, how do you disconnect? How do, how do you set the phone down? Um, and even if it's not part of your career being online and answering emails and questions all the time, um, it's part of daily life right now. And, um, you know, seeing and having those interactions all the time for you and, and having two young kids that you're, you're bringing up and trying to set a good example for, is that ever anything that crosses your mind about like, the way that they interface with screens and phones or the way that they see you do that? Yeah, it's a great question. There's been times when both of my kids have said, oh, daddy, you're always on your phone, right? And that is a, a concern, especially because we're a family that doesn't really allow much screen time in the handheld variety. Um, they watch TV and everything like that. It's not, but no video games, no iPads, no iPhone, none of that kind of stuff. I have an eight and, a, and a, almost five. And so when the, it's kind of going to be tough because they're sitting there, especially for my eight year old, like, all right, what's the, what's the, what's the rub here? Every time I look at you, you're, you're on your phone, but you tell me I can never do that. So it's, it's definitely a challenge. Um, 
but I also explain it's just part of, you know, my job. And one day they'll have a job and it might include, you know, if they're a lawyer, they're going to be on their phone a lot of times. If they're a doctor. They're going to be on their phones a lot of the time. Like there, there's certain professions where, you know, probably not the same way where it's like you're, you can never put it down in, in the way that my job works. Um, but yeah, we try to just be upfront with them and explain it to them. And, you know, my son, he sees me doing all these different things, like whether it be on TV before the games or on the podcast or, you know, stuff my wife will show him on her phone. And so he's kind of just used to it. I think at this point he gets like, oh, dad's just doing work. A lot of people talk and it's easy to talk about the negative side effects of a lot of that. But um, I think because of such a, a tightly connected world now, there, there are also a lot of benefits to constantly being connected. Um, Jeff Perlman is someone that you mentioned earlier. Um, and when we were talking about, you know, covering tragedy in sports and, and he's someone that I understand you were able to reconnect um, around the DeMar Ham- Hamlin story. Do you think that that would have been possible, you know, without that constant connection or have there been any relationships that you've been able to build um, as a result of being online and, and just being out there and available for people? Yeah, I think that there's a, a healthy percentage of relationships that I've built just based on social media presence. Um, in our world, like that's that's where people like. If I have a good story about that actually. Like, so um, Ross Tucker used to play offensive line for the Bills. He's now in the podcast space, media space. He's a sideline reporter, um, NFL college. He does a lot of a lot of stuff, and uh, actually one of the top NFL podcasts in the world. Like, it's he's really done a really good job, and I had him on my show once. We connected on social media, followed each other on social media. And this past season, I ended up seeing him a lot more. Like he was covering a lot of Bills games. And we never like actually sat and and had a long conversation. But every time we walk by each other at the Bills facility, it's like handshake, like we are but couple of old friends, kind of like at one point, I think like a like a little like half hug. And we only know each other from social media interactions at this point. Um, he's been on my show, of course, so there's that interpersonal part of it too. But he's he's doing a million podcasts a week and like with a million different people. And so that connection comes, I think, from the impact that you made on somebody on social media. And, you know, I think in a perfect world, I love to be able to have all the relationships that I have have some type of in-person like element to them. But that's one cool one that I think is just like, you know, we get it. We're both super busy. Some people fit in in different pockets in your life. And um, that's the way that this relationship has worked to this point. And there's, you know, I could probably talk about dozens of those. Yeah. I mean, you're around obviously journalists all the time and professional athletes all the time. Um, how do you see them dealing with it? I, I can't imagine trying to do the job of um, it, a, a job that requires so much time and so much focus. Um, and you see some of these athletes that are just uh, online all the time, it, it seems. Um, right. I know that they're not, obviously, because they wouldn't get to that level if right. that if they were easily distracted. But how do you see them dealing with that reality? <sighs> I think some deal with it better than others. You know, one person I think we could all agree that didn't handle it very well the last couple of years was Cole Beasley, and he's admitted as much. I mean, he's somebody that he talked about when he got here in 2019 about 
you know, one of the things he was working on is like just putting down social media and getting off of it and like nothing productive was coming from it. And, you know, COVID hit and he couldn't stop firing off controversial tweets. And it's not even really about like the contents of the messages. It's about like, to your point, these are professional athletes. Like every little distraction could be the difference between getting ready to play that week. Like not only when Cole Beasley sent out a tweet, was it affecting him having to get asked about it? It was about, it was all of his teammates and coaches being asked about it as well. And so, yeah, there's productive ways to use your social media. And then there's like really just explosive ways to use it. And um, everybody's got to have an opinion on everything today. Like that's one piece of it that I struggle with too. Like sometimes I just want to, you know, the traditional newsman in me, just wants to present something without having a take on it. But everybody wants the take on it. It's like, okay, it is what it is, but what do you think about it? Because I want you, I can't make up my own mind. I want you to tell me what to think about it. And I think that's a bigger byproduct of the problem that we're facing as a society in general is that we're, everybody's looking at everybody else to, to dictate what, individuals should think about certain topics and certain things. And I think sometimes we just got to do a little bit more critical thinking. It's, it's the reason we spent all these years in school. And um, you know, a lot of times people just want to be fed what they, sh- what they're supposed to think. Yeah. I, I was listening to a conversation recently where uh, someone was talking about that critical thinking time that you just mentioned and, and sitting back and collecting your own thoughts and knowing what you feel about things. Um, as a contrary to constantly being on the phone and looking for other people's takes and how doing the latter actually forms your brain. Like if you're just constantly reading other people's takes, um, you know, literally from a scientific perspective, that's how you're developing your brain. And then you start to lose the ability to uh, form thoughts on your own. Um, And I I heard that and I immediately turned off the podcast I was listening to just to sit and think for a while because I was like, well, now is a good time to do that. Uh, But it sounds like you're kind of saying the same thing. And, you know, from from the the athlete's perspective, you bring up Cole, Ble- Cole Beasley, um, and that's a good example. And I also think about um, like the Snowman and Isaiah McKenzie doing their locker room karaoke every mm-hmm. week and, and putting that online and having a little bit of fun with it. Um, there's two sides to that, you know. There's right. two sides of putting stuff out uh, in an, in a constantly connected world. Yeah, and like those guys. First of all, Dion's great. Mackenzie's great. Like it's entertaining, right? Like it's, a, it's, they're connecting with, with, they're having fun. They're connecting with the fan base. Like, but it, it turned into almost like this expected Friday event, right? Like where it's like, you know, you could take a week off. Like you don't have to do it every week, right? But like they had fun with it and I kind of get it. And to be honest with you, that, I think that's a healthy use of social media. Um, you know, it probably was a, big like you know maybe they were looking at it like okay on friday we're done with all the practices we're on to game day like it's this big sigh of relief and we're gonna party a little bit um and enjoy it um but yeah social media and the way that you know it's interesting like so apparently stefan diggs deleted all of his instagram posts this is a very common thing for like um skill position players in the nfl the last couple <laughs> of years um it's, uh, I, th- I can't remember who the first one to do it, but Tredavious White did it um, a couple years ago. 
And obviously all of the, and it, and it creates this like self-driven drama, right? Like, cause you're starting that, like Stefan Diggs is starting that. And then I guarantee you, when we ask him about that, there's going to be a level of agitation about having to answer for it. But he's putting that out in the world. Like he's, he made that decision to have that action that now needs um, questions formed that need to be answered based on that, especially considering where things left off last season. The, the lasting image that will Bills fans will have all offseason with him with his hands up to a quarterback that wouldn't even recognize, like even like um, pop his head up. And then it's mm-hmm. like he doesn't talk. Like he hasn't done any interviews since then. And this is very typical of Diggs. Like he didn't talk after the Casey game two years ago or last season. So this isn't anything new in terms of behavior. But sometimes I think like there's this like misconception of like, you don't need to do certain things. And if you do it, I, from my perspective, and I can only guess why it's, you want the attention placed on that thing. And so now when it becomes a, like an, like a conversation point on, you know, podcast, and then eventually like when training camp hits or, or, or OTAs and minicamp, it's, it was of the self-created variety. And, but there's, and, and Diggs is great, so I'm not trying to like dump on him too much. But you know, it's just from my perspective, it then gets a little bit annoying when you you put this out there, and then there's this kind of like eye roll when you're asked about it. So it's coming. Yeah. No, I mean it's interesting because everyone's got a different way of using social media, and deleting it is one way of using it. I mean, that's a tool. That's a thing that Diggs would not have been able to do 20 years ago. Like right. that would that's a statement that he just wouldn't have been able to make if he was frustrated or wanted to uh, symbolically erase the last season or whatever like there that wouldn't have been possible for him to do. So it's still it's still a statement. Um, and I'm thinking as you're talking about the the story that Jessica Jessica Pagula shared this morning and um, I know you've already broken that down a little bit, but uh, you know a, another, avenue is to not address what's going on at all. Um, And that's one thing that the Pagula family sort of decided right from the start, as it turns out, um, with the the cardiac arrest that Kim Pagula, um, uh, that happened to Kim Pagula this offseason. And Jessica is just now talking about it. She's a professional athlete herself. She's a a number three ranked tennis player in the world. um, And her approach was to not address it at all um, until now. And uh, and it's just interesting to think about, you know, all the different ways that these these athletes and, um, you know, we're, we're talking about athletes, but everyone in, in the journalism field, um, in my field and social media um, and digital marketing in general that that we choose to use or not use what's out there for us. And I think sometimes things are accidents. Like I think sometimes you don't know what to do. I, I, I wonder how much of this was just like not knowing how to really get around this story. And again, of course, you don't want to like guess at stuff like this, but you know, it's an evolving situation for Kim Pagula. It sounds like it's there's, there's new parts of recovery every single day. It's probably a completely different situation today than it was even a month or two ago. And so I get that kind of piece of it, like um, wanting to, you know, wait till you have some kind of 
hold on what the situation and circumstances are. Um, but in terms of just social media use in general, yeah, like it's crazy. Like every little de- decision that you can make from what you sh- reshare, what you like, like that could d- have an impact on your brand in the end of the mm-hmm. day. And, um, I try to be like super neutral with stuff like that too. Um, because I don't want to alienate anybody. Uh, I'm never going to stand for like anything hateful. So I don't really like put up with that kind of stuff. If you're coming with some type of that hateful agenda or like stuff like that, it usually makes its way out of the conversation quickly. But for the most part, we're all just people that are kind of, you know, have a bunch of different ideas. We're sharing. It's the easiest way to share them. And also like, just talk about like, I was a communication major at UB. And so one of the things that I think is super interesting about online communication versus in-person communication, what you'd say to somebody that you don't know online versus what you'd say to them in person that you say in person that you don't know drastically different. I mean, you could put a st- 10 or 15 different scenarios together of what you'd even be talking about with that person. And they would play out 100% completely different online. I shouldn't say 100%, maybe like 90 to 95% mm-hmm. uh, completely different. That That's to me, the thing that you got to always remember. There's this, there's this need to react. That's what I've gotten really good at in my job is like, I don't react to vitriol. Like I did even two years ago, but definitely Mm -hmm. not the same way I did five years ago. I have a huge following, right? So Mm -hmm. if a person with a very small following says something nasty to me, if I respond in any way, I'm amplifying that. So I've come to learn that the best defense against that is just ignoring it because at the end of the day, it just gets lost in the ether so quickly. Even stuff that really digs at you personally, like it gets lost so quickly that we're already on to the next thing 10 minutes later. And so that's another piece of it that I've had to really just, it's its own world. It's, it doesn't have any impact on the regular world. I mean, it does, it can, you mean you could get canceled right on social media and that would have an impact on the regular world. But I would say a big chunk of it really doesn't have any bleed over into what we experience in day to day in real life. Yeah. I mean, you and I are about the same age. We went to, we went to school at the same time. And when we were in college, there wasn't any talk that I remember about social media as a platform or social Mm -hmm. media, even as something that like a business would use or that someone would use in a professional capacity. It was starting to come around in college, but it was definitely not part of any of the classes that I took. Right. Um, Ultimately, having built a career around this type of media that didn't even exist um, when you and I were in college, we've had to kind of learn on the fly. And you've, I mean, what you just shared is, is such a, such a healthy perspective about that. And it, it, I know probably didn't come without making a mistake or amplifying some trolls message sometime mm-hmm. in the past and, and then realizing that I shouldn't have done that, you know, and I've, I'm, I'm guilty of that myself. Um, and I wonder what some of the other things are that, that you've learned along the way as you've built a career in frankly, a landscape that just didn't exist before. You know, first and foremost, I think like being willing to admit when you're wrong is huge. There's so many people in this business that 
you know, give the takes, the takes, the takes, but it's on to the next take. And there's never like any type of, you know, look back or reflection on things that we were wrong about. And I'm, I'm as quick to talk about things that I was wrong about as I am to talk about, you know, things that I was right about and come dunking on people that disagreed with me, which I like to do. Um, <laughs> You're but, good at that too. <laughs> yeah, I'm good at that too. But like, I, I think that that's healthy. I think that's important. I think like, we don't know everything. Nobody knows everything. I don't care if you've been around football your whole life. Um, you know, there's things that, you know, you might say that don't end up being the case. And I, and I, I think presenting yourself as some all knowing is, it, I don't know, it's just, um, I don't like it. But um, in terms of things that I've learned, wow, you got me thinking about this. That was a good question. I think the importance of like the podcasting space is something that I kind of saw. And I always tell people this, that the key to the vision was the time I spent in the UFC because podcasts were getting really big at the time in that space. Joe Rogan, obviously, back when he did mostly fight based um podcast before it got he was still doing the experience with these kind of off the wall like interviews but it didn't turn it nearly as political until later on um but he does a great job with those and i always thought that they were super you know interesting and just this like this setting to have a conversation for a, a period of time to to break things down ariel hawani's done a, a show for many many years i took a lot of things from him as well um, but I think that that just, that's, that's the piece of it where people can really get to know you. And so when I meet people out that watch my show and they interact with me in person, it's like, they already know me because they mm -hmm. listen to me all the time. And I think that that connectiveness too, then helps keep that audience for your content, right? Mm -hmm. Like if, if there's no, if I, I think now more than ever, because of how many options there are out there, there's got to be some type of reciprocal relationship here. Like, of course, I can't list, I can't DM back 65,000 people and, and Twitter, right? Like it, that would be crazy. But when I do get one, I make it as much of a point as I can to interact with that person, share ideas, talk back and forth. Um, again, as, be as best I can, um, comments online, meeting people out in, in person, so on and so forth. So I think that piece of it, like the way that that created this relationship with the community too, was um, something that I learned how to, how important it was early and then executing the vision, the, the proper way, um, the right elements live and post-production, et cetera. Um, something I definitely learned as I went. Do you ever have conversations at, at, you know, Syracuse.com or, or New York Upstate or any of the places that you've worked about uh, those real life interactions with your fans? Because 65,000 people is just about, you know, the number that fill up the Bills stadium on on a Sunday afternoon. Um, and and as you said, there's no way that you could possibly have a conversation with 65,000 people. There's no way that you could know 65,000 people. But in some ways they know you because you're out there, you're putting content, content out there all the time. Do you ever talk about that? Cause I know the players do. I know the players talk all the time and they get training on how to, to deal with fans and that kind of thing. But um, do, do you have those conversations? Not really in that sense. I think more than anything, like I've become the expert on that. So I feel like people back at the company, like, 
elicit ideas from me on how to deal deal with stuff like that. Um, it's conversations I always have with my boss, right? Like if there's something that my editor, if there's something that pops up um, on a given week, um, and I and I, and it's something that you know I could see is going to be something that can turn heated or something in that in that range. I usually get it on his radar and we talk out pros and cons and so on and so forth. There haven't been a lot of those recently, which has been nice. Um, but in recent years, that's definitely been the case. But no, not so much. Interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't think about it before this conversation, but as you're talking about, you know, how many people follow your writing and, and your uh, interviews and podcasts and things, um, and and in some ways probably feel like they know you, that uh, it's it's got to be hard to have a conversation then when you meet someone in real life. Uh, they know a lot about you and you know virtually nothing about them. Um uh, and I hadn't thought about that before, especially as, as we're talking about, you know, building real life relationships as a result of the Internet. Appreciate yeah. that perspective. Yeah, I I will say, though, too, like it, it, it benefits me in those scenarios that I'm uh, inquisitive by nature. Like so those conversations usually if it was reversed, right, like where I knew everything about a fan and the fan didn't know anything about me, I think it would be a little bit more awkward, but because I'm really good. I've done it so many times now where I've met fans and we've talked like I I have like that, you know, that firing squad of questions that I can throw out real quick to get you really like get to know somebody really quickly, like what they're about, where they grew up, all those kinds of things. Um, Yeah. Well, um, I appreciate you taking some time to have this conversation today because I know that you do think deeply about this. And, and you're as far as you know, journalists and sports reporters go, you you are out there quite a bit, and you share a lot um, about the the journeys that you've been on and um, the way that you think about doing your job and, and the way that you think about interacting with the players, the coaches, the fans, the the other people in the media. So um, I appreciate you sharing some of that today. Um, what, one, one last question um, is, uh, you know, the Bills are early betting favorites to win the Super Bowl next year. Are, are you putting your money down on that now? Um, TBD. <laughs> we'll see what happens <laughs> here over the next couple of months. They got a lot of things to figure out with this roster. Um, I know that they like it. Um, what's going to happen with Jordan Poyer, Tremaine Edmonds, those are big kind of pieces that you'll have to maybe work around. But I think it's about putting people around Josh Allen. And if they do a really good job of that, yeah, I'll be right back on board the hype train. Like, and and I think for the most part going 13 and three with the injuries that they suffered all the off the field on the field stuff that they dealt with. I mean, it's, it is, it was pretty, a pretty remarkable season. And I, I do have a level of understanding, you know, sports is so, uh, such a macho world, right? Like, so it's like, emotions or like talking about your feelings. It's not something that, you know, in in previous decades was as accepted as it is now, but I do feel like listening to guys talk about it and like what it was like to go through this season, the DeMar Hamlin situation in particular, that I just think it just really just took so much out of them. Like the emotional roller coaster of thinking that you're one of your good friends, your brother, you know, that's how they view each other. On, on these football teams, on, on sports teams in general, could die, go from that to then a couple of weeks later, he's fine, he's walking back into the facility and it's this crazy turnaround. Like that is a up and down. And they always do a good job. They talk about it, not rolling the, not riding the emotional roller coaster, but that one's impossible not to get on. 
because it is, there's so many things kind of hitting you or the court. So you think maybe that's, this makes them tougher, makes them stronger. And you can't imagine anything like this taking place next year. Right. And so and from that perspective, they'll probably be better, you know, from a starting point, if they're not banged up and Von Miller is the same guy. Yeah. I think they will be there in the end. I love what you said about that, especially the fact that it is, it's such a macho world. And yet in one of the most hyped and most viewed games of the year, those guys were, were crying. They were hugging and holding each other. They were supporting each other. Um, they were dealing with emotions in a very raw way. Um, and everyone who was watching, I think, understood that sports in the grand scheme of things doesn't matter as much as we want it to matter sometimes or, mm-hmm. or doesn't matter as much as we make it matter in our own lives sometimes. Um, and I hope they can bring that perspective into next year. Um, and I, I love that they were able and willing to show it, to talk about it. Um, and and I hope they're able to do that a little bit more, um, even as we progress through the offseason. And, and as I'm sure players, coaches, journalists, fans alike are dealing with the trauma of all the stuff that happened this season. Well said. <laughs> Matt, thank you so much for for joining me and for being one of the first few guests on, on this podcast. I'm excited uh, for this journey, and I, I'm excited to see the Bills win the Super Bowl next year. Yeah, man, it's great to connect, reconnect with you. Um, anytime you need me, let me know. It was a great conversation. Paisanos podcast is produced by Creagent Marketing. It's written and hosted by me, Sean Lukasik. You can find our show notes at paisanospodcast.com or visit our YouTube page to watch the video version. If you have guest or topic ideas, email me at sean at paisanospodcast.com. Thanks for listening.